Amen. Amen. Thank you, Teresa. No, we, uh, guys, we believe that, that, that God works not just through leadership, but the, the people of the church, right, who he establishes and grows up. So uh, here is, we want you to know the elders have been praying about this for, it's been almost a year. Uh, we've been gaining information, talking with Teresa, uh, diligently laying every request that, that God brings towards us as to how to steward funds and how to be faithful to our mission locally, globally. You all know we talked through our mission and vision a couple months ago. That, that's who we are, how we exist. So um, we have, we've been discussing praying, and uh, what we want to do, at least at, th- at this point, is that, that, that seminar that he puts on in February where he trains pastors, sends them back with goods, that whole thing costs around $5,000 money goes really far there, uh, so we're going to just pay for the whole thing uh, and just pay for them to, uh, to have it. Yeah, so we're thrilled. So uh, we're going to just cover those expenses, write him a check for 5000 so he can uh, have no uh, burden of that, so he can train those men. We hope to go down and help train those pastors, uh, hope, hopefully take teams in the future as we continue to network and talk. Uh, we're, just, we're just thankful that God has led us there and that we feel this is a good thing, and uh, it's the advancement of the church. Uh, and we love his work, and we love what he's doing. So continue to pray for him, just so you wanted to celebrate that with you, share that with you guys. Uh, we're excited to do that as the year closes, as we're just consumed with us to be generous and give, and uh, look outside of ourselves. So uh, let's pray, then we're going to dive right into Luke uh, chapter 8, this morning where we're going to pick up. God, thank you for your grace, thank you for your word, thank you that it's sufficient. Uh, God, I just want to pray very simply this morning that we would have ears to hear. God, that we would have uh, just audibleness to our listening, God, not just that we hear words, but that, God, you've removed spiritual blindness this morning. Father, thank you for this gospel. Thank you for giving us your word. We pray that you'd give us a soil heart that is receptive and attentive and longing to know the truth that will set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we got, just so you know, Bibles in the back. You can grab one on your way out. That's our gift to you. We're thankful they've been disappearing a lot, uh, just so you guys can have one to read and study. I always encourage you guys, instead of bringing your fake Bible on your phone, to bring uh, the real Bible. No, I know those are good. I know I've gotten all the emails. I know that you can write notes and, you know, highlight stuff. I know how cool that is. But there is something about having your Bible, if, if that's you, uh, where you can kind of journal in the side and highlight stuff and underline and have it just open, know where stuff is. That's just that's huge. So we want you to take advantage of one. You can use both. You can use your fake one and the real one. You can just combine them and, uh, and enjoy that, okay? So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in. If you're new to this uh, series in Luke, this is basically Luke. He's a physician. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus who's a Roman official. He's probably a high-ranking Roman official, and he is skeptical of the things of Jesus. So Luke wants to do one thing that's very, very clear. He wants to lay before Theophilus and really all of us why you can be certain of the life and teachings of Jesus and not just certain of them, but be transformed by them. So we say all the time, we don't want everybody to leave just a bunch of information. We want transformation to happen, okay? And so we need the Spirit of God to fall. We need the Spirit of God to move if any of that is going to happen this morning or really at all through us. And so as we read Luke, we don't just want to say, wow, that's a cool story. Wow, that's an amazing miracle. Wow, he's so powerful. Wow, he's a neat teacher. Wow, he's a really moral guy. We want to say he's a son of God. What does that mean for me? What does it mean that I'm I'm trapped in my sin, dead in my trespasses, and he comes along and can wake me up from my dead stupor. We want to know why that's good news, okay? And so uh, that's what we're doing in Luke. That's what we're looking at in Luke. And here's what Luke is going to do here. Basically, what you have in Luke is these kind of in-between segments that just bridge Big healings, big sermons, big notes. Remember, Luke is not chronological, he's theological. 
Okay, so he's trying to get across a point. And so here we're going to see just before he dives into uh, one of his most important parables that he's probably ever given, uh, he has this little segue here um, where he's going to basically bridge the final phase of his Galilean ministry. Okay, that's going to go all the way to chapter 9, like verse 50. Then he's going to turn his face towards Jerusalem and go die for sin. Okay, that's where it gets really, really exciting. Okay, so, so here we go. It begins in chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, after what? What would happen last week? He was in the house with Simon, right? He, he sees the, the woman who was probably a prostitute, lived a scandalous life, come in to a house and a dinner reception that she was not invited to. We saw that Jesus doesn't just forgive sin, he pays our debt, what that causes in our hearts. So soon after this, soon after Jesus was at Simon's house, the Pharisee, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, that's his disciples, his kind of senior leaders, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Harold's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Okay, so just shortly after Jesus has this dinner reception with Simon the Pharisee, teaches a lesson, shows that he's really a hard-hearted, arrogant, self-righteous man, how this woman understands the depth of her depravity, the depth of her sin, how she needs forgiveness. He leaves and he just keeps going about his teaching ministry, his preaching ministry. This is normal for Jesus, right? So he's going from town to town, place to place. And as he's doing this, Luke says he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is Jesus' message. Okay, so listen. They didn't have a newspaper. They didn't have a TV. They didn't have media, right? So not clicking on the latest news. He's kind of the town crier. He's going about going, hey, this is good news. I'm preaching it. I'm letting you know that that there is forgiveness for sin, that the the poor in spirit can find life, that the prisoner will be set free. He's going back to that Luke 4 sermon that we loved looking at, that, man, God cannot be bartered with. Grace is free, okay? And if you understand your need, there's salvation to be had. If you don't understand your need, there's no salvation to be had, right? Because he opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So he is proclaiming this good news. He is the the town crier, so to speak, and giving this. Now, lots of theologians disagree on what the kingdom of God is, okay? You can pick up 100 different books on someone who will say, oh, this is it, this is it, this is what it means, this is what it means. So just very simply, I think there's one thing we can settle on what it definitely is. And, and that is just teaching. When it says that he is proclaiming the kingdom of God, he's teaching the kingdom of God, he's very simply just teaching and proclaiming salvation. Where do we get this? If you, you don't have to go there. Matthew 19, I think a clear space you see this is where uh, he's talking about the, how hard it is for this rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. He uses kingdom of heaven in Matthew because heaven just replaces the word for God in Matthew because he's talking to Jews. It's an intertestamental period. They don't really use the word God, so they use heaven. It's the same thing, okay? It's a separate sermon. So he says, to get in the kingdom of heaven, it's really hard for this rich man, but it's easier for the camel to walk through an eye of a needle, okay? And then what happens? What's the first thing the disciples say? Well, who can be saved? Right, so, so clearly... I mean, just in the disciples' response to teach the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is just to teach salvation, to teach how someone is saved, how someone is reconciled to God. And so this is what Jesus is preaching and teaching. So Jesus' message isn't socialist, it's not political, it is salvific. That's what Jesus is getting after, man. I want to see the, those who are deeply aware of their neediness to come to me. Okay, to find salvation ultimately in the cross of Jesus Christ. So he is here preaching and preparing. And you know what's amazing too is if you go to Acts 1, after the resurrection, you know what you see? You see him what? Spend 40 days teaching them what? 
about the kingdom of God. What's he doing? He's preparing them to teach and preach about salvation. That's what he's doing. He's spending his time going, hey, you guys are going to be the ambassadors. You guys are going to go to the ends of the earth. You're going to teach people about how it is that you can be reconciled to God. Beautiful. And so as Jesus is doing this, he does something a little unusual. Uh, He brings a bunch of women with him. Um, Now, I love this because that goes against this cultural idea that God is some, like, bigot who hates women and is, the Bible's just filled with oppression on women and Jesus loved women, went after women, showed grace to women. So in a rabbinical time where the, the rabbis of the day thought it was like a sin to even teach a woman, I mean they couldn't even be taught by a man in public, Jesus goes, hey come on, come out of your dark past, come out of those sinful places and he goes, hey join me in my ministry as he's teaching and preaching he includes all these different women as well as his senior leaders. And I love it. Their discipleship's happening. They're good stewards. They just provide for Jesus' ministry. Ministry costs money, right? So these women are going, okay, well, we've got money, and so we're going to help Jesus' ministry out. I mean, he didn't have a place to lay his head, right? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Where am I going to lay my head? So, so they knew that they were going to maybe make some meals for him, maybe give him places to stay, maybe pay for him to take a bunk bed somewhere on his route to somewhere. But, but they are caring for him. They are serving him well. Jesus keeps him involved, them involved in the teaching and preaching. And listen, they didn't do this because they owed Jesus something. Jesus paid their debt, right? They owed him nothing. He owed them nothing. And so here they are just demonstrating that they love him. So um, as we segue into the parable, let me just say, you would think at this point, if Jesus is going to set up his ministry, if you're Jesus, I mean, who are you going to call to be a part of your influential movement? Right? The movers and shakers, right? The big wigs, the rich, the popular. The, what does he do? He grabs women who like by all standards back in the first century especially were not influential. They didn't have a voice. Why is he, he's grabbing those not who were rich and who are going to make much of Jesus or elevate him. He always goes after the lowly, the ordinary why. So when the world is flipped upside down, who gets the credit? Jesus does, right? I mean, they can't look to these guys and go, oh, man, they were really smart. They are really educated. Look at them. I mean, no, they're going, man, something unordinary happened. Something divine happened. So the whole mission and ministry of Jesus is amazing because it's not because you have intrinsic power in you or these people are intrinsically good. It's because he is awesome. It's because his power is great. It's because he was God. He was man, and he came to die for sin, and he unleashes through his Holy Spirit the ability for us to do great things, not because we're great, but because he is Great, and I love that he does this. And so as he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching salvation, he's now going to reveal the condition of the human heart. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to put the weight on you as a listener. He's going to say, okay, guys, hey, as you're going around teaching and preaching about salvation, guess what? Uh, this is how you're going to see a lot of different responses to it. This is what it's going to look like. This is how you're going to have to filter through what you see as you preach. And guess what? Not many are going to like it. Like not everybody in in droves is just going to want to get saved and want to meet me. In fact, probably few will. You'll see that throughout Jesus' ministry. And so um, I love how you're going to see here it has nothing to do. The, The giving of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel has nothing to do with the skill of the sower. Nothing. Guys, you, you and me, you might think, oh, well, if we go out together, man, we start evangelizing up, oh, Mike, you got it, right? I'll just sit by and listen and kind of, you know, no. It has nothing to do in this. There's, there's no skill. 
The power is in the seed, which is the gospel, which you don't have to change. You don't have to change the seed. You don't have to make it more palatable to others. And, and it's in the condition of the heart. What kind of soul does it fall on? It has nothing to do with your skill. That's beautifulness. That's for another time. So here we go. Jesus is focused on the condition of your heart. Look at verse 4. The crowd's gathering. People from town to town. Thousands are coming. Just curious followers. Some people just want to see a circus. Some people really love him, want to follow him. And he says in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, so interesting, he's calling out, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so, so Luke, there are thousands of people that are, that are gathering and wanting to have an ear to his teaching. There are lots of different types of people. And he gives this parable about a sower who's going to scatter some seed. Now listen, everybody got this. They live in an agrarian society. They got farming, they got planting, they got sowing, they got seed scattering. They totally understood this. So Jesus is speaking in terms that they should get in the sense of their vocation and the culture that they live in. And look, he gives four examples Hard ground, rocky soil, thorny soil, and good soil. Now, first he's just kind of laying it out. He's going to explain it in a minute. But first he just goes to these four soils. So the first is the hard ground. Okay, this is very common. They didn't have fences up. It was really open air. Farmers would go about. They'd throw their seed. And what would happen was is you, got, you had to walk around these you know, areas of crops to throw seeds. So there were some places that would get really beaten down by you walking right, where the, the traffic would go, and it would become really, really hard ground, almost like concrete, and then it would sit and it would just bake in the sun to where really nothing could penetrate it. Okay, that's that, that's a, that hard soil, okay? And essentially the, the seed, because seeds have that little, you know, point on the end, it would kind of barrow down and kind of die and then give birth to life. That's how, if you guys have planted anything, you know, that's how it happens. So what would happen is it couldn't get anywhere, so it would just sit there and eventually the birds would come and just eat it. Okay? Maybe you guys have that outside your house. You hate that hard ground. You keep trying to grow grass. doesn't happen. And then the birds come by and eat it. Dang birds. You know what I mean? You just you can't stand it. So, so the, you understand this, right? Okay? The second soil is the rocky soil. Okay? This, is, this is not like there were some rocks and they you know, threw it on the, the rocks like they didn't know what they were doing. It was underneath. There was a lot of times limestone. It's very common in Israel. Um, and there were sometimes rock beds underneath what looked like good soil. And so what would happen is the seed would go down, but then it would hit the rock, right? And it would bloom really quick. It would sprout really quick. But what happened? It couldn't get through the rock to get water and get all the irrigation it needed. So now the, the, the plant is up, just exposed to sun. It would just wither and die because it would get scorched by the heat. It had no irrigation. It had no root. Now, any farmer knew, hey, quick, quick producing looked good, but it probably wasn't good. Wow, man, there's sudden evidence of this plant growing, and then, oh, it's probably going to die because it's probably on a rocky bed. The third is thorny soil or just weeds. What happened was people would go, and they would, they would get out all the weeds before they'd throw down the seed. The problem is a lot of times you wouldn't get all the weeds, so there'd be all these toxins still down there, all these weeds, and so what would happen is they'd throw seed on there not knowing it was weedy soil, and so as the plant comes up, it looks really healthy, looks really good, but it gets just choked out by the weeds, so it starts sucking away the water. It starts blocking the sun. It doesn't let it get the nourishment it needs. And the last one is the good soil. This is what Farmer Bill wants. 
right? He wants the good soil. It's, it's clean. It's pure. You throw seed on it. It barrows down. There's no limestone rock bed. There's no thorns around it. It's not hard like concrete. It goes all the way down, has good roots, gets water, sprouts, and just starts yielding a crop. Just starts multiplying. Okay? These are the four different scenarios. And I love this. As Jesus says this, he's just yelling out, hey, anybody care to know more about it? Anybody care to understand what I just said? <laughs> He's doing this the whole time. He's just yelling this out, it says. Amazing. Look at, look at verse 9. There's only a few people that actually really care. His disciples, they turn and they ask him, what does this parable mean? Hey, Jesus, can you give us like a private commentary on this? A little confused here. Isn't that good news for you? That don't think you know a lot or think you don't understand half the stuff Jesus says? That they didn't even get it? They needed to ask for clarification. Okay, I'm encouraged by it. Uh, so it says, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So picture this. Masses are coming to hear him. We want to see a healing. We want to see the demons be cast out. You're with all these women. We heard about their infirmities that were healed. Hey, can you do something crazy? And he goes, hey, let me tell you a parable about a farmer. Right? I mean, we know about farming. Okay, well, who cares to know more about this? Because if you really believe I am who I say I am, you'll probably want to listen. And everybody's like, eh, I'm out of here. And the disciples are the only ones who go, hey, can, we'd like to know. There's honesty there. There's desire. Hey, we want to know what you're talking about. We believe in who you are. Can, can, you, can you shed some light on this thing? Can you, can you kind of walk us in? These are the people who love Jesus, who knew Jesus. And Jesus says this crazy statement. I've given you the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And then you know what? I'm just going to speak to everybody else in parables so that they won't actually hear and won't actually understand. Okay. Okay, now if we're the disciples, we're going, okay, can, can you clarify that? <laughs> right? I mean, you're going, can you just keep clarifying it? So here's what you got to understand. That word for uh, secrets is really the word mystery. It's not something that, like, you can't know. It's not something that your brain cannot possibly understand or comprehend. It's, it's just something that's revealed. So it's really kind of speaking to, you know, in the Old Testament, there were all these kind of hidden things that in the New Testament are now revealed. They know them. Okay. Give you many. The resurrection of Jesus, right? I mean, that was hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New, right? The incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming as a man, walking. It was kind of foggy, kind of hidden, and then it's revealed, right? The church, we learned that in Ephesians, right? The church is kind of this, what, what is that thing that Jesus is going to do? What does that really look like? And then what happens? Paul says, hey, this mystery of the church has been made known to you, Right? So, so here's what Jesus is saying. There are secrets of the kingdom of God. I'm actually going to tell you what all that means. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to reveal it to you. You're privileged. This is, this is beautiful. You're blessed. You're chosen. I want to I I let you in on the mysteries of all that was for generations past hidden. And I'm not going to reveal to you because you care to know. And you care to know truth. And you care to desire more. And then he says... To the rest, I'm just going to speak in parables and not explain it. <laughs> Understand, okay, 
we don't have time for this whole, but, but early on in Jesus' ministry, he would speak in really just clear ways, guys, right? So if you go back to Luke 4, that sermon, like everybody listening to Jesus, they didn't have to sit there and go, I wonder what he's talking about. Everybody knew. Isaiah 61, he's saying that he's fulfilling that. Which is why all the religious leaders call him a blasphemer. Because I can't believe this guy is claiming to be the Messiah. I can't believe he's claiming to forgive sin. Okay, so, so there's that element, right? Well, here's what happens. Okay, so he's just speaking in clear, understandable ways. But this particular parable is a huge turning point. Because from this point on, he's going to speak in parables. He's not going to speak in just clear, everyday language. And here's why. It's judgment on the people of Israel who are listening. He's going, man, you've had every opportunity to listen. If you're not listening now when you can, what makes you think you'll ever listen? He's drawn from Isaiah 6 when this happened to the people of Israel, when they just continued into idolatry and they continued into unbelief. And he's going, man, I keep calling you myself. You know what? Go ahead. I mean, I'm just not even going to try to give you divine truth anymore. So, so here's, here's where we see this turning point for Jesus. So he goes, man, you know what? I'm, I'm going to now reveal the rest of my ministry to believers, those who care to know, those who care to listen. Everybody else, they can go about their way. Not going to waste time. I've been laying this out for months, if not a year. And here he is basically indicting on people who will not listen. I mean, really? Is me just being flagrantly honest with you, really going to do anything to your heart? I mean, listen, you're going to continue to see that the Jewish leaders were so spiritually blind that they ultimately wanted just to kill him, right? So, I mean, they're not, they're not eventually going to, like, come to reality and say, oh, wow, this is really true. No, they, they hate Jesus. The more he spoke, the more they hated him. So he's saying, fine, I'm just going to speak in ways that you can understand, and those who truly want to understand and know will come to me and ask. It's an act of judgment and let me just ask a question here do you believe that the Holy Spirit of God is just at your bidding like do you think that God is obligated to save you and give you ears to hear when you want it We see this a lot, right? Especially in young college age. You know, I just want to sleep around and do whatever I want. And then you know what, man, when I'm like 30, then I'll trust Jesus. Then I'll take it seriously. Terrifying place to be. You think that, that you tell God when you turn a certain age, that then, then hey, then awaken my heart then. Hey, then, then, then save me. Then I'll repent. Then I'll bow my knee. Then. That's crazy. That's dangerous, right? This whole idea of, man, well, I just want to enjoy my life now and do this and that. And I don't really, I don't really you know what, God, how about in a few years? I'm really enjoying this. Hey, I want, kind of want to leave my wife now. They don't get serious later. They, how, how, do you, how do you see salvation? How do you see even where you're at? Maybe you're in a moment right now where you're like, man, you know what? I just want to keep enjoying the lust of my flesh. And I'll just, just let me enjoy it a little bit more. And then, you know, I'll get serious. I promise. You know what the problem is? You'll never get, you'll never will. You never will. Today's the day of salvation, right? You continually hear. Repent and turn to Jesus now in your seat. Don't wait for the end of the service. Don't wait for another cute sermon. Don't wait for anything. Turn to Christ now. 
That's what Jesus will continue to say. We're going to see a lot in chapter 9. Hey, you're following me now. Like when I cross your path, I'm so good, I'm so holy, I'm so weighty, I'm so beautiful that if your eyes really catch what you're getting in me, you're not going to second guess or question the value of following me. It's a hard word from Jesus, a good word from Jesus, gracious word from Jesus. And so every time, guys, the word of God goes out, it softens hearts and it hardens hearts. That's what happens. And we see it, right? There's some of you, as I preach, you're getting harder. And some of you, as I preach, you're getting softer. So now Jesus is going to roll into how different people listen and respond to this. And it's happening right now. That's what's crazy. Okay? Look at what he says, verse 12. He's going to explain it now to those who want to know. So if you want to listen, if you want to understand what Jesus is saying, he's saying that to you. Okay, give ear to hear. The ones that fall along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. As for that which fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that on the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest good heart, and circle honest, underline honest, and bear fruit, circle bear fruit, underline bear fruit, with patience, underline patience, circle patience, okay? Now, we're going to get there. Scenario number one is when the gospel shared, the gospel's communicated, somebody tells you the good, sweet news of Jesus Christ dying for your sin, gifting you his righteousness, calling you to himself, offering eternal life, eternal treasures, eternal riches in heaven, and you go, eh, that's right. Just hard. Your, your heart's like concrete. It's, it's not, there's, no matter how many times the word is preached, it ain't going anywhere. Because you're just consumed and enthralled in your sin. You love your sin. You don't want Jesus. You don't want anyone telling you that, that they're the authority of your life. You want to run your own life, be your own God, enjoy your own glory. So you sit, and then as you sit there and the word falls on your hard heart, the devil just starts snatching the truth as you hear it because your heart's so hard. Since false teachers, you listen to them. Your ears are tickled. Maybe it's your pride. You just don't like that God asks anything of you, and so in pride you just say, nope, ain't going anywhere. And the enemy uses so many different things to take away this seed till eventually you just go after that thing and you leave the gospel. Now, if this is you, hard heart, concrete heart, I mean, just, just the, the gospel seed never breaks through, man, just, just beg God for mercy, I mean, in humility, approach him and say, God, I, I, help me. My heart's hard. I love sin. Get around people. Ask questions. But, man, you've you got to approach God in a very different way than you probably have your entire life. Second scenario, it says that they're the ones on the rock. And those, they hear the word, receive it with joy. There's no root, though. So they believe for a while. In time of testing, they fall away. Okay, this is... The rocky bed, right? Okay, this is the person who, they're receptive, 
they're interested, but really emotion alone drives them. It's really just superficial. So man, whenever, now listen, my, my job, right, is just to preach the text, right? So, so I need to fear God more than I fear none of you coming back, right? Okay, so, so just, just hear me here. This is, I don't know if this is you, but let me just graciously lay it out before you. This is the person who just solely banks on a time in their life where they had an emotional experience. They thought that was salvation, but it was superficial. Maybe heard a half gospel, only heard, hey, he saves from sin. You want to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. Okay, let's go. Let's all line up on the front. You didn't hear lordship. You didn't hear about commands. You didn't hear about obedience. You didn't hear about loving him and surrendering your life. You didn't hear any of that, so it's not the full gospel. And so now all of a sudden, you just had hugs. You had tears. You were just weeping. And then all of a sudden, down the road, even though there's zero, zero evidences of conversion at all in your life, you joy, enjoy a fleeting moment and you bank salvation on that and not in pursuing the Lord. This is the rocky soil because you don't have a root. You're just, you're just sitting on emotion. Wow me again. You might even come in and hear sermons and affirm them. Amen. Yeah. Right? And then you leave and there is nothing happening in your heart. And then you come back the same week. And you look really good, right, for a time. And then you just wither away. See, I I wonder if some of you over the years have conformed more to just a moral pattern of life than the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God, right? And so you're after just following patterns and a fleeting thought and feeling rather than trusting in the object of your faith and being transformed by that and walking in newness of life. My fear is that sometimes thrill alone confirms you're a Christian. There's nothing in the scriptures that will say that. Does it talk about emotion? Absolutely. Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there longing? Absolutely. But not void of obedient walking. Not void of persevering. Not void of loving Jesus. Not void of repenting of sin. Jesus is saying that some of you guys come week in and week out. You hear the word. You affirm it. And you have zero intention of applying anything. And you're going to leave these doors and do the same thing you did last Monday. And last Sunday afternoon. Because there's no root. There was never really any conversion. This is why, what does Jesus say in John 8? If you continue in my word, oh, then you're one of mine. John 15, hey, if you abide in me, if you're connected to me, hey, yeah, you'll bear fruit. It'll be, we'll see it. And and I love this. He says the times of testing is when your faith is shown if it's real or not. Just as James 1. So, So all of a sudden, the lusts and loves, other things, when they happen around you, Are you pushed towards Jesus or away from him? We want to run towards him. Third soil is thorny. This is really just weeds. It's another word for it, weedy soil. Okay, this is the person, they they hear the good news of sin. They hear all about, right, the saving work of God. They hear all about the person who, you know, can, can die for sin and atone for sin and rescue them, right? They hear all of that. And then all of a sudden they start hearing about the commands of God. And they think that God is like the enemy of joy. And so now what you do is you chase after a counterfeit God because you don't want what God's desires of you and asks of you. And so you chase that thing and you replace it for something else. Maybe it's sex, maybe it's persona, maybe it's fame, maybe it's money, maybe it's, I don't know what it is. 
But all those things choke out the gospel seed because sin has taken up residence in your heart. It's surrounded gospel seed. And here's the thing. The thorny soil will grow quicker than the gospel seed. If you're just unrepentant and wanting those things in your life, you're going, no, I want Jesus as far as, you know, my license and my, you know, hell insurance. You know, okay, that's good. But man, there's no lordship at all. There's no allegiance. There's no following. Well, eventually... Those things, those impurities, those toxins that are down in the soil of your heart are just going to choke out the gospel seed. And you won't want him. You won't chase him. Because all this other stuff exists. And you're not willing to kill it and put it to death through the power of Jesus. This, this person definitely appears to believe, guys. They appear to be a Christian. Sure. For a season... But it's really a worldly heart. It's really not a saved heart. And I think this soil really confronts what you're after. Like, is Jesus what you're after? Or are you just after getting something from Jesus? Because if, if you're after just getting something from Jesus, you will constantly be de- disappointed because you have a false understanding of, first, how great he is, how he is primary, how he is the greatest thing that God could give you, which is himself. And so all these other things you, you look for as counterfeit gods, you place them as God, you worship them, and they never follow through for you. And here's the crazy thing. You love that thing, start worshiping that, and then every time it falls short, it doesn't produce the joy and everlasting longing, satisfaction you need. You get bitter at God because he's not coming through when you were the one who actually replaced him for that thing and are worshiping that thing. So it's so weird. We shake our fist to the heaven because he's not following through for us, but you're not going to him for him to follow through. You're going to this other God that you've replaced him with on the mantle of your heart. So why would it? And you're putting an expectation on something that can never, ever bear weight. Some of you guys, you put that on your spouse in marriage, right? They'll never be the spouse you want. They never will. I know, and some of you guys are like, hopes are romantics, and oh, he never sins. He's so perfect. Look, I know if we walk in the house behind closed doors, there's issues, Right? He doesn't satisfy you. He can't play the role of God for you. None of us can, right? Which is why we lean into Jesus when our spouse falls short and we're okay. Because he's the one we worship. He is our perfect, everlasting covenant keeper. So God graciously comes to you and says, hey, John, Sarah, Mike, Alan, hey, I'm I'm for you. I'm for your joy. Hey, don't do what's dangerous to your soul. And you say, hey, you know what? I'd rather do what's dangerous for my soul. And then you're surprised why your life is in shambles. Or you're surprised why there's so much pain that's not being delivered in the sense of walking in grace. Um, Scenario number four. This is the Christian. There are a lot of people that agree, disagree, all over here, okay? So some people will say that, man, no, those others believe Okay, well, we know demons believe, all right? And we know that they're not going to be saved, okay? So, so there's a type of belief that happens. It's going to produce something. It's going it's to look good. I love this. The good soil. He says here that this good soil is something that's received with an honest heart and a good heart, and it's held on to fast. So this is the person who hears the glorious 
news. This, this might be you this morning. You're hearing about, man, I, I understand. I'm keenly aware of my sin, my, my falling short, my wanting to steal glory from this God. I'm so aware that I can't earn anything. I have no righteousness in me that can, that can stand before a throne and be faultless. I totally get that Jesus has to do that for me and rescue and ransom me and become my life. I have to be hidden with him. And then he kind of puts me on a path and gives me his Holy Spirit and guarantees my eternal inheritance. So I continue on to the very end. I, I hear that and I, I honestly understand that. And I'm just honest about who I am, man. And I'm begging God, here's where I'm off. Here's where I need to surrender. Here's where I need to, you know, grow in holiness. You're just honest about that. I mean, you're, you're wanting to grow. You get in community. You open up your life. You don't hide. You don't manipulate. You're not scared. You don't do any of those things. You're just like, hey, here I am inviting in Jesus. Hey, clean me out. Help me to walk right. This is the good soil. It's, it's pure. There's no lying. There's no secrets. There's no manipulation. There's no, hey, yeah, I kind of like this. You're not relying on emotion. You're not just followed along by every other counterfeit God. You hold fast to Jesus. I love the idea of holding fast. You're just holding it tightly. Man, you just hold the gospel tightly. Man, I just got to have him. And I know there's nothing else I can do that's going to save me from damnation. And I, I know it rests in him alone. So you just, you hold on to it. Man, help me to understand. I'm flooded with doubts right now. I don't understand some of these passages. You seek out an elder, another member. Hey, can you help me understand this? This is where I'm struggling. This is where there's just flagrant sin. Can we expose that walk in the light like John, 1 John says? That's a Christian. It's good soil. It's honest soil. It holds fast. And I, I love that he says here, holding it fast. Part of this, okay, naturally if you're doing that, is maturity over time. So there's movement in your life. So how can you tell if someone's a Christian? Time. Some of you hate that answer. I've been in hospitals where we're praying, we're begging, we're preaching the gospel to that person as they're, and we hope, absolutely we hope. But can I, I, mean, can I really stand and say I, I know because of that I have to, there's got to be something I see. Okay, and that's where it takes wisdom, that's where it takes sermon. We're not, we're not called to be the sin police walking around, I'm just saying, just authoritatively just looking, hey, are there evidences of fruit? Is there any, any fruit, is there any movement and maturing in your life? I mean, that is how we see if someone made a profession of faith. And if not, then we say it was never real. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I hear over and over and over again, man, you know what, I saw this person, I saw him get saved, then I saw him lose their salvation. Guys, they never lost their salvation. It's eternal life. You can't lose eternal life. I mean, what's eternal life by definition? Eternal life, right? So you, you can't have eternal life and then, oh, I lost it. I mean, and especially because you're not keeping yourself attached to the vine. I mean, he is the one who has saved you and is guarding you, so you're trusting in him keeping you. You're not trusting in you keeping you, and so, so you, en you enjoy that. But listen, eternal life can't be lost, guys. Listen, I, I love this parable because it helps us understand we all know people. We all know people. I remember back in high school, had this kid, or when we, Chris and I were involved with high school ministry, we had this student who we, we thought for sure was converted, and he left his life of sin. It was for a season. He, we were even you know, having him share his testimony and playing guitar and using his gifts, and then literally one moment out of the blue, gone, never looked back, has never returned. Okay, so do, do I say, wow, I mean, Oh, at least he's saved and he's hanging on and he's, no, all I can say at this point is the guy, it was never real, it was a thrill. It was emotion, it was thorny soil or it was weedy soil or it was rocky. 
I don't know which one. That's not my job. But this helps me discern what's going on there. And if he ultimately comes back and repents of sin and pursues Christ, okay, praise God. Now we're seeing some evidences of conversion in his life. But no, only one of four of these soils bore any fruit. Only one. And I love that it says it takes patience. If I can just encourage the Christian in the room. Matthews will say 30, 60, 100 fold. So there's different wirings, different levels of it. Not everyone's going to look the same in maturity and in sanctification, but there's a trajectory north. You're at least moving north. And it's not this, it's, right? I mean, you have failures, you have stumbles, but listen, it is progressive, it is over time. See, anyone can say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. Okay, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe you think that sounds arrogant, but it's like, okay, all right, great, I hear what you say, but let's, okay, we'll see. I used to have a tomato garden in the back of my parents' house. And uh, this thing took forever to show anything. And I remember when I was younger, my, my dad and mom would go out, and they'd plant the tomato garden, and I would go out, and I, like every hour, mom and dad, there's no tomatoes, and I would keep running back in, and I don't understand, why is it not growing? And my dad would always say, hey, it takes time, you gotta, just, just keep watching it, just keep, if we planted it right, we put it in good soil, it's gonna produce tomatoes, just wait, you know? I'd go out the next day, I don't see any tomatoes, and I would just get so frustrated, you know, and I, I don't know why, it's so weird, I, I don't even like tomatoes, I don't even, <laughs> seriously, I, so I would just like go out there and look and I, I would come in and my parents would constantly just be saying, Mike, patience. Mike, it's going to produce fruit. And then I remember from like day three, day four, day five, depending on how much water came, whatever, you would see if we planted it right. You'd start to see little buds and you'd start to see them grow. Then they get bitter, back bigger and then my, my parents could take them off and we could cut them up and I wouldn't eat them. We'd enjoy them for dinner, right? Man, this, this is... This is, this is what it looks like. Someone repents of sin, trusts in Christ. Man, we pray that over time as we gather with them, as we, as we enjoy them, as we talk with them, that we slowly start to see evidences that it was on good soil, taken root, producing a crop that's going to yield whatever that particular vine is going to yield. But it yields something. You know, I, we could spend all day, I mean, what, what is fruit? What does that look like? I mean, I think there's attitude and action in there. I think there's internal man and external man. You got fruits of the Spirit. You got, you know, really self-righteousness that we're examining. Hey, I'm really arrogant and pious. Okay, I'm, I want to kill that. I want to stay in that. Or you got outright wicked, flagrant sin. Just like what we're learning in Luke, I want to repent of that and turn from that. You want to get in community. You want to get under good leadership. You want to get involved in a church. You want to open up your life to others. You want to honestly walk as a Christian. It starts being produced. And guys, here is why... Um, you got to hear me say, if, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you have claimed allegiance to him, the most unloving thing I can say to you as your pastor is, great, hit cruise. You, the most loving thing I can say to you, if you have trusted, trusted and thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus for forgiveness of sin, the most loving thing I can say is, okay, let's go. 
man, let's, let's walk. Let's beg God. Let's pray. Let's get around people that love Jesus and are going to speak honestly into our life. And let's, let's open up those spaces that are hidden and secret and cyclical. And man, let's repent of sin. And man, let's do that. I mean, that's the most loving thing anyone can even say to you. Okay, let's go. We're all in this together. Those who believe in Jesus, right? You're in good company. Right? I stumble and fall. I got great elders, great people around me that speak into my life. Tell me where this space is not looking good. I got a great wife, right? Every night that we, we go to sleep, hey, Mike, shape up. Got it, right? Like, I mean, it's just seriously. I mean, she gets somewhat, get, this, these are all important things. Hey, I'm seeing this in your life. Hey, this needs to be repented of, not because you want to be perfect. You want to be repentant. And Jesus alone, you, you constantly lean into him, enjoy him. You are reminded of his finished work. You're reminded of it. It's his grace that keeps you. But there's this dual reality of what the Puritans called holy sweat, where you work and you fight. And you go, man, I want to put that sin to death. I want to treat it like a pet. Right? That's the Holy Spirit in you. That's evidence of that. And listen, they can both go as long as they want. You can fake it. You can do that. But it also can be absolutely real. Um, you know, guys, the, the hardest thing for me, I've said, I think I said this a couple months ago, the hardest thing for me, really, the hardest thing for any pastor is this parable, that all I can do is throw the seed. Some of you guys, I want to jump inside your body, seriously, and be like, man, you're going to kill yourself. Man, get your fingers away from the computer. Like, man, stop lingering and looking at that woman or man at work. Like, stop emotionally getting invested. Stop lying. Stop manipulating. Because, listen, there are people in this room, I'm, I'm sure, I don't, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out, where, man, you probably sit and meet with an elder, another church member, someone else, and it is just a lie. Like, you just keep saying the same thing over and over again. There's manipulation. You're, you're hidden back. It's, listen, you got to get out in the light. I mean, you got listen, there is nothing magical about this. There's nothing magical about this room. There's nothing magical about me. There's nothing magical about these people. What's, what's amazing is a gospel where a God comes and rescues you and makes alive that which is dead. You can't make yourself alive, right? You need him to do it. So I say this all the time. Trust me now, trust me. 50 years from now, that cyclical sin, that lying is never going to change unless you let the Jesus Christ come, die for you, let his Holy Spirit get in your life and expose that sin and walk in righteousness, showing evidence that you are in fact made new. Let's go. Okay, so let, let's not sit and think that because you show up, because you pray, or because you read, or because none of that stuff is magical. There's nothing here. I mean, when we leave this room, who are we? And who's our allegiance? Jesus is so kind to tell us this, is he not, brothers and sisters? To give us such a loving warning. And listen, true, the true gospel is the ability just to rest in your acceptance in Christ, right? Which is totally yours. And then it leads to, to actions that flow out of you being accepted in Christ. So, so here's what, what it is. It's rejoicing in what Christ has done for you in his person and work that, that doesn't at all say, hey, let me do so I can become. But because I am, let me go do. As we pray, Ezekiel 33, you can go read it sometime. He's got amazing eloquence, amazing prophet. People all the time would gather and be like, man, listen to him speak. Listen to how eloquent he is. Man, I'm just tickled by his message. I love hearing him. And they wouldn't do anything. So the worst thing you could do is leave here saying, 
a great message. The best thing you can do is say, God has spoken. I've got to do something. Okay? Let's pray. Let's ask him to help. God, help us to be transformed by your grace. God, thank you for the miraculous work of your spirit. Thank you for transformation that comes through the life, death, resurrection of your son. I just want to ask you to give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. We desperately need you. Bring us to repentance. Help us to repent and turn from the spaces in our heart that need to. Help us to examine our hearts and ask ourselves honestly. Do some self-inventory, self-assessment. Which soil am I? Change us by the power of your person and work. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.